I'm Dennis Levitt. This is my lovely wife, Tracy. Hi, I'm John Rudnick. We're Barry and Anita Chenault. My name's Edward Devlin. My name is Rosalie Devlin. Hi, we are Brent and Sheila Howell. My name is Matt Weisman. Hi, my name is Hannah Rollins. My name is Chad Peterson. My wife and I, we've been walking with the Lord for about 22 years together. Prayer is so vital to us. Uh, we've both been through some physical challenges, and the Lord, through prayer, has got us through. We're part of this, the prayer team here at Gloucester, and the prayer team prays for the church's needs, be it people, physical healing, and the church building. Rosalie and I were praying for a friend of ours, and it, it's amazing. She started coming, and then she brought her daughter. So Rosalie and I have been praying for months because she, you could tell she had a need, and we know it was spiritual. I don't know if she knew that, but it, it's been amazing to watch God grow and change their family. We are in a parking lot one time, and the lady came to me. So she said, can you pray for me for the brain cancer? Because the, the doctor told her she only can live three months. So we pray in a parking lot that Sunday afternoon. And so she called me back Monday, uh, and she said that the doctor could not find any cancer anymore. It, it was God. I said, it was God who do the miracle, and you still can live a long life. Prayer is just like a, a oxygen to me that I can pray anytime, I can pray everywhere, and it, it really changes the atmosphere of my situation, and the people that we pray for, it really impacted their lives. Amen. That's awesome, right? Praise God. We know them. Um, hey, I want to invite you to grab a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 will be in verse 11 this morning as we continue our series on the Lord's Prayer. A couple things before we get going, though, by way of announcement. Number one, um, if you have kids, raise your hand. If kids raise your hand. All right. We have a faithful team of kids ministry staff and volunteers that serve back there week in and week out, and they need your help. We need Coastal Kids volunteers. And so if you are not currently serving at Coastal and are looking for a way to serve or aren't even looking for a way to serve and need a gentle push, here's your push. Um, talk to Amy Sexton. We'd love to have you on the team. We'd love to get you plugged in and teaching our kids the gospel while allowing our parents to come and sit and hear the word of God uninterrupted. Um, this kind of is a, a segue to our second announcement. We have Trunk or Treat coming up here at Gloucester, which is awesome. It'll be great. You see announcement on the slide right there, October 30th, 4 to 6 p.m. Um, talk to Amy as well because they need volunteers. Um, if you want to sponsor a trunk, uh, this is a really fun event we've been doing at your town for a while. If you want to sponsor a trunk, decorate a trunk, do that. Um, if you want to donate candy, we'll accept candy donations as well. Um, and if I could be so bold in recommending a place to buy your candy, uh, I don't know if you guys hear of it all the way out here in Gloucester. We have one in Newport News. It's like one of my only good things about Newport News. Gloucester is superior in like every other way. Uh, we have a Costco though. <laughs> Who here has a Costco membership? Any Gloucester folks have a Costco membership? All right, you all have to drive across the bridge. I don't. I get to drive 10 minutes down the road to go to Costco. 
Costco. Um, we, my wife and I, we have two young kids. We love Costco. Uh, we get a ton of stuff there. Um, we get our applesauce pouches there. We have a four-year-old and a one-year-old. They go through like 10 of those a day. Um, and I think there's something about Costco that, that kind of hits the American experience of being able to buy stuff in bulk. Um, you know, like you need two rolls of paper towels. You go to Costco, you come back with 18. <laughs> like you have, there's just more than you need. Everything there is more than you need. When gas was crazy, crazy expensive, the line was wrapped around the corner for Costco for cheap gas. Um, their hot dogs are good. You can get a hot dog. They're inflation proof. Their hot dogs are still at like $1.50 and you get a soda. Um, and this is, this is really embarrassing. I'm going to share this. Uh, my wife is coming to the next service and I'll probably share it a little differently when she's here. Um, sometimes, <laughs> that's so bad to say, sometimes we go to Costco just for the samples. Like the samples, they are plentiful. They are sufficient. And if you like walk around enough and like the sample person who's giving them out changes, if they change shifts, you can come by and be like, oh, what's that? That's new. And you grab one of those. Like it's gotten to the point where my kids have their heads on a swivel when we're at Costco because they know the samples are there. Um, well, we even, we even bought, and I promise this is not a Costco commercial. We even bought our vacation, our summer vacation through Costco. Um, they have great deals on everything. Uh, <laughs> this is ridiculous, but they gave us, they gave us a $300 gift card to Costco simply for buying our vacation there. And if you, again, if you've been to Costco, you know, that $300 covers like half a trip. Um, <laughs> you can get exactly what you need. And again, we like it because, because we store up in bulk. We go to Costco once a month and you get all the ground beef you need for the month. You get all the chicken, all the sausage you need for a month. And I think this taps into something. I mean, we remember when the pandemic went down and people went scrambling for toilet paper or um, if like there's a, a rumor on the streets or in the newspapers about a ground beef shortage, what happens? People go and buy ice freezers. I mean, I'm sure many of you all have freezers of meat in your garage or a spare room. Like we we're people that love to store up. A great place to do that is Costco. But I think that we do this I think that we do this spiritually too. And this is kind of where I want to head this morning. I think we, in 21st century American church culture, uh, have a default behavior pattern of wanting to store up spiritual experiences and hope that those experiences are sufficient to carry us over until we get another spiritual experience. And this can happen on a macro and micro level. So macro, pretend you're like super, super spiritual and you go to one of those Christian conferences. You see your favorite pastors, your favorite preachers, and you get to take notes in these incredible sermons and you get to sit on breakout panels and meet people and, and reminded that the church is bigger than just your local church. Um, this happens on a micro level too, though. Think about week to week when we come here on Sundays, when we worship. We lift our hands and praise and we sit under the preaching of the word and we pray together and we take the Lord's Supper together as we'll do this morning. Um, what happens, and this is, again, I'm speaking really from experience here, is what can happen is that we get into this mindset of hoping that our spiritual tanks are filled on a Sunday morning and then hoping that that tank is big enough to last us until the next Sunday. We just kind of hope that and rely on our weekly spiritual Sunday resets. And what happens is that our spiritual growth or satisfaction and joy in Christ gets really high on Sunday because it's awesome. We're together, we're singing, we're praising, we're sitting in the word. It's all good. But then as Monday comes and Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, like our, our, our joy in Jesus just slightly, slightly, slightly decreases as we are in the world. And then it goes back up on Sunday. And maybe if you're really spiritual, you go to a midweek small group and 
and you got a midweek small group on Wednesday night and your join Jesus happens on Sunday morning and then Monday and Tuesday happen and Wednesday's like this little top off. And you go to Wednesday and you're around the word and you're with people you love, your church family, but then you just hope that that small group is enough to carry you to the next Sunday. Like, listen, I've been there. For much of my Christian life, that was me, kind of hopping from experience to experience, hoping to store up these spiritual experiences in bulk. And here's what I want to share with us this morning is that that's not how God has designed the Christian life. Like if you can relate to that at all, at all, then I think we have a word today. Jesus has given us a word in the Lord's prayer that might speak to this, but how the Christian life isn't something to be stored up but something to be nourished every single day. We're going to see that primarily in verse 11 in the Lord's prayer. But before we dive into verse 11, I want to actually read it and, and really pray it together. We've been doing this as a congregation in Gloucester regularly, right? Head nods. Yes. Let's do that today. Let's, let's keep it going. So Matthew chapter six, verse nine through 13, let's pray this together. And then we'll dive in our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's the word of the Lord. Amen. So today we'll be in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread and as we've been learning over the last couple of weeks of this series, Jesus structures this prayer very intentionally. We start with both the intimacy and awe of our father, an intimate term and the awe in heaven. God is in heaven. A couple of weeks ago in Yorktown, Pastor Sean called these the riverbanks of our Christian life, how God is an accessible father and yet a holy God. And then last week, as Pastor Nate shared, a prayer focused on the advancement of God's kingdom in the accomplishing of God's will in verse 10. And so I hope we're seeing the structure here. The first half of the Lord's prayer is focused on God and his glory. And then we see a shift this morning in verse 11 to the disciple and his needs. And so this is our pivot point today. Asking for daily bread is the first personal request of the Lord's prayer. The first time that we're given space, even, even an invitation to bring our daily needs before our father in heaven. But see, this is where... This is where many of us start when it comes to our prayer lives. We start with verse 11. Forget the first couple of verses. And, and I think that could be a problem. We start with our needs and our wants and our prayer checklists and our personal requests. And it's not necessarily wrong. It certainly isn't sinful. And in certain emergency type situations, it might even be appropriate. But again, the order of the Lord's prayer is intentional. If we go right to petitioning God with our needs, and our requests without taking the time to marvel at him and enjoy him as father, then what's happening is we're missing one of the sweetest aspects of the gift of prayer, communion with God himself. It's so important not to rush past these first couple steps to enjoy God, to praise God, to marvel at God and all that he is before running into our checklist. And so if there's a word here right off the bat, is that the first two weeks of this series, the first two messages that Pastor Nate preached here are an absolutely crucial foundation for our time in the word today. 
And so if this is your first week or you missed one of those two messages, let me encourage you, go to gocoastal.org and catch up. All of our sermons are on the websites. And I encourage you to do that because if you start with verse 11 and you neglect the first couple of verses of the Lord's Prayer, you're missing the order that Jesus laid out for his people. Um, Amy and I, my wife, Amy, are in a small group that we meet on Wednesdays. And there's a newer brother in Christ in our small group. And it's hugely encouraging to have this brother in our group because you kind of get to see him process out Christian growth verbally. I don't know if you've ever been in small groups with newer believers. It's an amazing experience. And this guy's learning how to pray. And he's got a mentor in his life who's teaching him how to pray. And he shared how that process is going this per two Wednesdays ago. And he said, this mentor of his, every time he starts his time in prayer, he starts with 10 minutes minutes of just deep breaths, breathing in and out, just saying two things. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And thank you, Lord. That's it for 10 minutes. Like sometimes my prayer time doesn't even hit 10 minutes. And this guy's taking 10 minutes just to enjoy and appreciate and thank and adore God. That's the point. As we miss that, we run right into our lists. We miss the aspect of prayer that I think is the sweetest communion with God himself. And so that being said, now we turn to this verse and this request to give us today or translation literally give us this day, our daily bread. And even though the prayer turns personal here, more inwardly focused, it's still God centered. Jesus is, is rightly acknowledging that the only way we are getting bread is if God provides it, almost like there's a, a childlike dependence here saying, God, if you don't provide us with food, then we don't eat. And it almost goes without saying, but I want to make it clear. When we ask for daily bread, when we ask for God to supply our daily needs, we're asking for more than just literal baked wheat or flour. And so what do we mean by bread? We mean basically everything. So food and water and shelter, the basics, what we need to stay alive. We're asking for God to provide everything that we need for simple human life. Martin Luther, commenting on this passage, wrote that bread was the symbol for everything necessary to sustain simple human life. So simple life, not extravagant or luxurious life, just simple life. That's the request here. I think Proverbs chapter 30 gives us a similar picture in verses eight and nine. We'll have it up on the screen. Bible says this, feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Basically, God, if you give me too much, I'm going to think that this excess is something that I worked out by my own strength, by my own power, and I'll deny you. Saying that I did it, I made it happen by myself. Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. There's no glory in poverty. And the author of Proverbs is recognizing this. God, give me what I need, not less, or I profane your name. He's saying, give me exactly what I need. God, meet my need for today. And Proverbs 30 and our verse 11 this morning makes requests exactly for this, not for our greed, but for our need. The attitude is one of simplicity, not luxury. And again, in our Costco culture, the idea of asking for bread for today, it's not super relatable to us. Like we as Americans are planners. We have our Dave Ramsey budgets and our 401ks and that's not wrong. That's wise in many ways. But for Jesus's first century audience, I want to enlighten us a little bit. This teaching hit home in a very different way than it hits with us. Most people listening to Jesus would have been day laborers, literally earning their wages every day. So working hand to mouth, if they were to miss a couple of days of work with an illness or an injury, that could be catastrophic for these people. And so this 
exhortation to ask God for daily provision and to trust God to provide daily provision was exactly what they needed. And I think it's one that we do need to Christians. Like we want to be a people, a church family that has a right understanding that every time there's food on the table, it comes from our father in heaven. Like, and if your fridge is full right now, it's because God filled it. You have more than one article of clothing because God is gracious enough to provide. If your air conditioning works or your heat works, it's because God wanted it to work. If your car got you here this morning from point A to point B, no matter how long you ignore the check engine light, it's because God wanted your car to run. We have to see this, that, that God cares. Listen, we talk all the time in church about how God is greater than we can imagine, bigger than we can comprehend, how his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And that's true and so good about Hebrews chapter one, how God upholds the universe by the word of his power. God is great and glorious. We should spend time on that. But God also cares that you have something to eat. Like he cares that you have a roof over your head. He cares that you have clothes to wear. God cares about our daily needs. Not just the big picture stuff, but the little picture stuff too. We see this just a few verses later in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. Jesus talking about anxiety over the daily needs of our lives says this in Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. God knows that we need them all. All. And he sees to it that our daily bread is provided. And so this is number one on your notes. You have to start here. We can't miss this. God is the provider of our physical needs. God is the provider of our physical needs. And we as his children, children that he loves and cares intimately about, are invited to come daily to him, asking and trusting that he'll provide exactly what we need, sufficient for every day. We can wholeheartedly thank him for that and acknowledge that every time we have anything, it's because God has provided. But there's another element of this passage that we also need to explore. There is a, a depth, another layer to Jesus's words here that go deeper than just physical needs. And so we start where we started because the passage clearly isn't talking about less than physical provision. Jesus cares about that. But there's also an element of more. It's also talking about more than just physical provision. Consider this. What is the deepest object of our hunger as human beings, as Christians? What is the only thing or only one that can satisfy our hunger and quench the thirst of our souls. We know this church family, it's God himself. And so this prayer has a new depth for us as believers while asking for daily bread, physical nourishment in a very real way. We can also trust God and ask God for spiritual nourishment to ask to be fed with God himself. And again, this is where it gets really, really good. Remember Jesus's first century audience here. They were Jewish. Israelites. And so when they heard Jesus teaching about daily bread, there's a certain story in the Old Testament that would have immediately come to their minds. In Exodus chapter 16, and we'll have it up on the screen, you don't have to turn there. Exodus chapter 16, the Israelites, the people of God, 
had just been delivered out of slavery in Egypt. God had worked a miracle. In chapter 14, we know this story. God had parted the waters of the Red Sea, crushing Pharaoh and his army. He had delivered his people from over 400 years in slavery. Now they are free on the other side of the the Red Sea. Total freedom. In Exodus 15, we see this beautiful song of praise where they're singing and they're dancing and they're praising God. And then they get hungry. In chapter 16, they get hungry. But we're going to see this play out. They realize they have nothing to eat. And so they begin to grumble with Moses. Exodus 16, verse 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots. I don't know what a meat pot is, but it sounds good. (laughs) And ate bread. It honestly does. It's ate bread to the full. For you brought us into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. So just for time's sake, I'm going to skip past the audacity of this complaint. We don't have time to dive into that this morning. Here's the point. The people in Exodus 16 are really hungry. And God, in his mercy, who's already provided physical deliverance for his people, was now about to provide physical sustenance. Verse four, the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people should go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So God is going to work another miracle for the Israelites by raining down bread from heaven. Who knows what that bread was called? Manna, by raining down manna from heaven, just as much as they needed. God was going to provide and meet their needs. And on the sixth day, the day before the Sabbath day, God would supply twice as much manna as the people needed so that they could rest, not collect anything on the Sabbath. And this miracle, as we see, quickly became a trust exercise for the people of Israel. Verse 19, Moses commands them to leave nothing for the next day to eat only what they needed for today, to trust God to supply the needs of tomorrow, tomorrow, another portion of daily bread. And if you know your Bible, you know what happens. The Israelites think they're on an episode of Hoarders and they see how much bread can we collect? And what happens to the bread? Who knows the story? What happens? Yeah, it turns to worms. It breeds worms. It goes moldy. It rots. Because the people didn't trust God. They didn't trust the Lord to provide for them daily bread. The people wanted weekly bread. They wanted monthly bread. Listen, church, I think there is a principle for us here as 21st century Christians. As followers of Jesus, God has created us to come to himself through the person of Jesus, not weekly or monthly, but daily. To receive daily bread. Not to hop from Sunday experience to Sunday experience, but to be a people that walk with Jesus daily, receiving nourishment, having our souls satisfied, our tanks filled every single day. And God has given us normal, faithful, ordinary means of grace to help us accomplish that. So I say means of grace. All I mean is that God's given us his word. We can know him and eat every single morning through the pages of this book. Again, the gift of prayer. We can commune and fellowship with the living God through prayer every single day. Even the gathering of the saints, we gather together, we'll take the Lord's Supper. We we do these means of grace because they build us up daily. And my wife and I have been married for a little over five years at this point. And we took our honeymoon when we first got married uh, in Berkeley Springs, West Virginia. Anyone been to Berkeley Springs? 
Yeah, a couple of you guys, awesome. Virgin Springs, West Virginia, maybe you'll know the spot I'm talking about this. We had this amazing week. Uh, we had a cabin in the woods and we did all kinds of experiences. Um, it's a pretty sleepy town, but they have this spa that was really nice, we went on hikes. Um, there is a restaurant in Berkeley Springs that is incredible. And uh, I couldn't remember the name of the 8 a.m. And there's a brother in the 8 a.m. That, that shared it on a connect card. So thank you to him. Lot 12 Public House. Maybe you guys have heard of it in Berkeley Springs. But it's one of those restaurants that uh, as 22-year-old newlyweds, there is zero chance we'd ever be able to afford. Like one of those really, really nice farm to table, five-star type of places, an incredible restaurant, like unreal reviews. It's a famous restaurant known as one of the best restaurants, not just in West Virginia, but on the whole Eastern seaboard. It's incredible. And we got a gift card as a wedding present to this restaurant. Now it was the kind of gift card where you go to the restaurant and man, I'm not worrying about how many appetizers I'm ordering. I'm not worried about the entree. We can get coffee. We can get dessert. We can even tip on this gift card. It was an incredible gift. If we knew, okay, babe, we're never going to come back to this place. Let's burn it all on this gift card and this one meal. And so it's like night three of being married. And we go to this restaurant and we have the best meal. I'll speak for myself. I had the best meal I've ever had. Like there was this pasta and gnocchi thing for an appetizer. We had salmon and steak, this incredible dessert. One of those meals that's truly unforgettable. And this will give you kind of a clue to how fancy the restaurant was. Um, after we finished our appetizer, before the entree came, the waiter brought by two little cups. And like the cup was maybe like this size, like really, really small. And there was one bite of something that looked like Italian ice in the cup. And so he sits it down in front of me and I'm thinking like, what the heck is this? <laughs> I didn't order dessert yet. Like, why is he bringing me Italian ice before my entree? I didn't order dessert. So apparently my wife informed me, this is called a mousse bouche, which is like something that is a ridiculous word, but something they give you at really, really fancy restaurants as a palate cleanser. And so guys, that's how nice this restaurant was. Absolutely fantastic. And again, I've never been to a restaurant since that has that. So <laughs> not a high roller here. We had this meal though. And I remember it's five and a half years ago at this point, And I remember I'm talking about it right now. Who here can remember what they had for lunch two and a half weeks ago? Okay. If you have an incredible memory, then I can't. And I would say the majority of us can't, but we remember some of the greatest meals of our lives. Like there's just some meals that just hit different. They were with the right person or in the fanciest place. And there are meals that are unforgettable. In our Christian life, this works much the same way. There are going to be sermons in your life that are catalysts for change. Sermons that, man, you remember that sermon is when you trusted in Jesus for the first time. Or that sermon is when you knew, man, I got to marry this person. Or a particular sermon that God used to free you from addiction. Like there are these mountaintop sermons that God will use to change your life. And in similar ways, there are times in the word that you'll have as believers where you'll be going through something needing wisdom or guidance on a particular issue or problem. And you'll open up the word and it's like the book was written to you. Like the verse or passage or paragraph that you read feels like it was written for your exact situation, your exact circumstance. These mountaintop experiences where maybe a friend says something to you where you're like, man, that had to be from the Lord because it was exactly what I needed. Like we praise God for the Berkeley Springs meals. We praise God for these mountaintop sermons that we'll never remember. But guess what? That's not how God primarily grows us as believers. In his grace, he's given us those experiences 
for our good and for his glory. But the way that normal, faithful Christian growth happens is through ordinary means of grace. I don't know what I had for lunch three weeks ago, but I know that it fed me for that day. And I know that two months from now, you guys are gonna remember this sermon. That's fine. But Lord willing, it'll feed you for today. That's how God has designed us as Christians and as the church to grow. Not by seeking these biannual experiences, but by seeking daily bread through the normal, ordinary activities and means of grace that we go through. What happens when we walk through these normal, faithful means of grace every day for decades? God takes something that really is ordinary and he turns it into something extraordinary, a life that is more and more and more conformed into the image of Christ. And if you've ever been to Colorado or hiked one of the 14ers out there, you know that on the mountaintops, there's not much growth. The tops are bare. The growth happens in the valleys. And the same principle applies for our Christian lives. God uses the no more gathering together of the saints. He uses your sleepy 6 a.m. time in the word on a Monday morning to help conform you into the image of Jesus. God has designed us intentionally not to live on the mountaintop, but to live through the normal means of daily bread. And as Christians, this is where I'll bring back the Israelites, he gives it to us in the form of something much sweeter than physical manna in the wilderness. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter six. I want us to see this. This is where we'll land. In John 6, just a few, well, maybe a little bit later in your Bibles, John 6, Jesus was hugely popular at this point in his ministry. He had just fed the 5,000 and the people, because they had seen this miracle, wanted to make him their king. They thought Messiah meant physical conqueror and they were going to make him their ruler in hopes that he was the one to overthrow the Roman empire. This is not the case. It's not Jesus's plan. He's going to conquer in a different way. And so to prevent the people from making him king, he literally flees to the mountains. He sends his disciples away. And after the crowds finally leave, Jesus walks across the water, walks across the lake. You can do this if you're Jesus to meet your disciples. And the crowds catch up with him on the other side of the lake. Let's pick up the story in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He's calling the people out here. He acknowledges that the only reason they want more of Jesus is to see another miracle. They want what Jesus could do for them. They're not interested in who Jesus is himself. Verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you. For on him, God, the father has set his seal. 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them. This is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. And so let me take a quick time out here. The people are asking, what do we have to do to do the works of God? It's like the rich young ruler saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We've all asked this question, whether you're a Christian or not, like what is out there? What do we need to do to get whatever it is that's out there? This is the gospel. They asked Jesus, what can they do? He says, what you can do is believe. And so in a gathering this size, I don't want to assume that everyone here is a born again follower of Christ. So if you're new to Coastal or just checking us out as a church, if you're exploring spirituality, checking out Christianity, like dial in for this next part. This is really, really important. God from page one to the last page of this book 
is telling a story of redemption. He's a loving, holy, and good God who created a people to be with him forever, to live in heaven with him forever. But the people, all of us, have sinned in the sight of this God. And because of our sin, we've separated ourselves from the relationship that we were created for. We've created a division between a holy God and a sinful people. But God, because he's loving, because he loves us, sent someone. This is what Jesus is talking about in John 6. He sent Jesus, his son, fully God and fully man, to live a perfect life, to die a substitutionary death on the cross, where on the cross, Jesus absorbed the full wrath of God's hatred and anger towards my sin and your sin, all of our sin. Jesus took all of that on the cross in his death and then rose again from the grave three days later. Our work then is to believe, to believe, and and it's more than intellectual belief, to believe and receive Jesus. When we do that, when we repent of our sin, turn back from our sin and believe in the person and work of Jesus, we receive the gift of eternal life. That's what Jesus is getting at here in John 6. Let's keep going. Verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may believe and or see and believe you? What work do you perform? Guys, he literally just taken five loaves and two fish and made a meal for thousands. And they're asking him, what can you do? Listen to this next part. You'll see how it all ties in. Verse 31. Our fathers ate the what? What's the next word? Manna. Fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Verse 35, underline, highlight, circle, whatever you do. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So in the person and work of Jesus, and this is so crucial for us to see, God has provided for us spiritual bread and spiritual sustenance, food for our souls. Through Jesus and fellowship with him, through prayer and his word and community, we are satisfied. We receive daily bread. Whoever comes to him shall not hunger and shall never thirst. This is number two on your notes. Through Jesus, God is the provider of our spiritual needs. He provides for us physically and he provides for us spiritually. Through Jesus, God fills the deepest desires of our hearts, our longings for peace and purpose, contentment, hope and fulfillment. Most importantly, forgiveness, like Jesus satisfies them all. This is so important for us to see. Letter A, not only is God our provider of daily bread, but God is our provision. The best gift that God gives us, church, is himself. God's Goodness towards his people is not manifested ultimately by what he gives us, but by who he gives us. Do you see this? See how he provides for his people by giving us his people himself, Jesus. The word manna in the original language is best translated in English sometimes as portion. The word just means portion. And so providing us for himself providing himself for us, I should say, in the person of Jesus, the Lord literally becomes our portion. Consider then Lamentations 3.24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Or the words of Psalm 16, verse five, the Lord is my portion and my cup. You hold my lot. I want us to see this church, God, not by what he does for us, but by who he is for us, is our daily bread. 
Like he provides it to us daily. And so our job then, and this is where it all ties together, is to walk in what he's given us, not on a weekly or monthly or annual basis, but to seek him daily. To seek him daily. So I know that we've talked about this in different ways at different times this year as a church, but we have a Bible reading plan. Like if you're a Christian and you're just bouncing from these Sunday to Sunday experiences, hoping to fill your spiritual tank, then I'd ask you, where is your time in the word? What does it look like? What is your prayer life like? Like take an honest assessment this morning and realize that God has given us these Sunday morning gatherings as a gift to build up the bride of Christ for the glory of Christ. But these Sundays aren't enough to sustain us regularly and they aren't enough to provide lifetime spiritual growth as believers. We don't go from Sunday to Sunday. We should be walking daily with Jesus. We want to be a church family where this is the case, Coastal. People who are consumed with a passion for Jesus, you're seeking after daily bread. And so here's how we're going to end our time this morning. I want to invite our ushers forward. They're going to pass out the elements so we can take the Lord's Supper together. And I want to invite the worship team up too. They're in the back. Um, But I want us to see the, the supper here as a continuation of this daily bread. God has given us, Jesus has given us, a tangible reminder of his work on the cross through the breaking of his body and through the shedding of his blood. And as they come forward and pass it on, I'm actually going to continue to read in John 6, because in John 6, Jesus gives us actually some key and critical insight into the supper. I think it might be helpful as we think through this idea of God as our portion, not something to pursue once a week or once a month, but to seek after every day. And so this is John 6. I think you saw it open. Look at verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is providing us his flesh for the life of the world. Our Christian life was created and is sustained by the broken body and the spilt blood of Christ. Verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can give us his flesh to eat. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Here's what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying, that what you hold in your hand is his physical body and blood. We don't believe that the Bible is clear it's his physical body and blood. We believe that it's clear that God is providing us through the observance of the elements, spiritual sustenance, an ordinary supernatural means of grace, where we can take it together as a church family and it can sustain us for today. But guess what church? You're gonna wake up tomorrow on a Monday morning and you're gonna need fresh daily bread. So if you hear anything today, be reminded, be exhorted that Jesus is our bread and he's meant to be taken in, to be received, to be trusted and loved and savored and enjoyed and worshiped, not weekly, but daily. So I want to offer a warning and maybe by way of 
encouragement. If you are not yet a follower of Christ, I'd ask that you actually abstain from taking the elements this morning. First Corinthians chapter 11 makes it really clear that we're not supposed to take the elements, the bread and the juice in an unworthy manner. And actually, if we do so, we could eat and drink judgment upon ourselves. So for the Christian, confess your sin before him. I'm gonna give us a moment of silence to do that. Clear your heart before the Lord. Let us be a people that have short accounts with God. Receive fresh mercy, fresh bread. And then we break the bread as a symbol of the broken body of Jesus and the blood as a covering, knowing that one day we're gonna stand before the Lord and the only hope that any of us have in this room is that God, I am covered by the blood of your son. And then without the blood of your son, I have nothing. My good works are nothing. My church attendance is nothing. My Bible reading is nothing. All I have is the covering of the blood of Jesus. We need the daily bread, church. So I'm gonna give us a moment of silence and I encourage you to pray. If you wanna pray with your spouse or small group or friend, take a moment and do that. I'll come back up here in a minute and I'll close our time. observe the supper as a church, we are remembering the sacrifice of Christ, proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes, thanking him and praising him for his work, and praising him for the means of grace that has provided that work to cover over our account. yet taking elements I encourage you to do so now I heard a story <clears throat> I heard a story about a, a homeless man on a subway in New York City um, the man had come onto the subway car um, wearing obviously old and dirty and torn clothes he smelled really bad and didn't look like he was all there um, and no one wanted to sit next to him. So he's sitting by himself at the end of the subway car. And after the train takes off and leaves the platform, he stands up and everyone's looking down and hoping he's not going to make things too awkward. But he stands up and yells in a loud voice, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Can anyone help me? Can anyone feed me today? I'm hungry. I haven't eaten today. I haven't eaten today. That's what he kept saying over and over again. I haven't eaten today. And all the people in the subway car um, dressed in nice clothing on their nine to five commutes in New York City. They could all have fed this man. But as people do, they just look down. They don't want to engage. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. And this man's standing there saying, I haven't eaten today. A minute or two goes by. The man doesn't sit down and the situation gets more and more awkward until another homeless man on the other end of the train 
looking exactly like this first guy stands up, reaches into his pocket and he pulls out a crumpled brown bag and out of the bag he takes a sandwich. He walks over and he gives the man a hug and he gives him the sandwich. The man says, thank you. And the first guy or second guy goes and sits back down and the man next to him wearing a nice suit could have fed this guy, looks at him and is like, man, you're homeless too. Why did you do that? And the man looks back at him and says, I've already eaten today. We want to be a people that have eaten today and not rely on the emotions of a moment or the experience of a gathering, but on daily bread that Christ has provided for us. So I want to invite us to stand. Let's stand together. We're going to sing and go out of here rejoicing and praising God for his provision of daily bread. God has not spared his own son for us. God will now graciously give us all things Cords for life and godliness. God wants to see us grow in Christ. So let's pray. Father, we praise you this morning for the gift of eternal life. We thank you for the sustenance of physical provision, God, which you're kind enough to give us. And we praise you for the gift of spiritual provision, which you have provided for us through the person and work of your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for uniting this church family here at Coastal, this congregation here at Gloucester, around the blood of Christ. That Jesus, you are our sustenance and you are our only hope in this life and the next. And so God, we look forward to the day we get to be with you forever, enjoy you forever. And so until that day, help us, God, help this congregation live not on weekly or monthly or yearly bread, but on daily bread. So I pray for them, God, tomorrow morning. I pray for them on a Monday morning that they would eat God, that we would eat because you're the giver of all life. So we love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing.